Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 16 through 21, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 4b through 14, the gospel according to John, chapter 12, verse 1 through 8, and Psalm 126. May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts always be acceptable to you, O Lord. Amen. In downtown Bible study, about 10 days ago, we discussed both last week's gospel from Luke, the story of the prodigal son, and the gospel we heard just now with Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet. We looked at these two gospels together Despite the vast differences in the characters and the storyline, the overwhelming message is of no surprise. The overwhelming message was of devotion and of God's love. God's love described in actions between people and clearly God's presence in the midst. And last week's gospel from Luke, we heard of the endless devotion of a father to two sons, one we call the prodigal son who, who took an early inheritance and left town and squandered it and came back because he was in desperate straits. An older son who had kind of done everything by the book, but one might guess maybe grudgingly based on his resentment towards his younger brother. And how the father's love for both of these were steadfast. The father's love was steadfast. And that, that story helps us understand God's love for us. Despite all these things we do, God's love for us is steadfast. In today's gospel, we again receive a story that is very human. It has polarizing personalities, but the message is filled with devotion and love. And I always find there's, that the opening lines of this passage feel very poignant. It begins with six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There are paragraphs and paragraphs in that one sentence. Um, and there they gave a dinner for him. For context, in John's gospel, because we've moved last week from Luke's gospel to this week to John's gospel, in context within John's gospel, the preceding chapter has been the story of Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the dead. And that story gives us a glimpse of the, the closeness of Jesus' relationship with these beloved friends, with Mary and Martha, with Lazarus. But it also provides a pivot point because that action on Jesus' part, raising Lazarus from the dead, is what made the Pharisees and the chief priests feel that he had to be dealt with. That action caused so many people to believe, and they were concerned that even more people would believe. They were concerned that that would kind of shake up that careful balance they had with the Romans. And so it was at that point they determined that Jesus had to die. And Jesus left town only to return in the section that we read today, only to return as Passover was coming near. 
and only to return to visit his friends, his beloved friends. So Jesus returns as a man being hunted, literally being hunted for his arrest and for his killing. He returns as a man who knows that he is approaching Jerusalem and approaching a violent death. And it is Jesus who is returning with his disciples to the home of his beloved friends. Surely that was a place of comfort and solace for Jesus before what lie ahead. And for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I mean, can we even imagine their elation? Here, the man who had brought Lazarus back to life was in their midst. This friend they so dearly loved was back with them again. The gospel goes on to tell us how Martha served. And for those of us who've read a lot about Mary and Martha, we know that that's no surprise. Martha would be serving. And the gospel tells us that Lazarus is at the table with Jesus. And then we hear of Mary, Mary taking this extraordinary act of devotion. Mary taking the pound of nard and using it to anoint Jesus' feet, then wiping them with her hair. We can imagine the room filled with the fragrance and how others at the table must have immediately taken note of what was happening. This act of love and devotion on Mary's part has no words. There's no, no quotes there. But how could words begin to contain that meaning? Mary is anointing the feet of the man she has followed, her beloved friend, her teacher, the Messiah, the one who raised her brother from the dead, the one journeying to his own horrific death. But Judas Iscariot has some words. Judas Iscariot has some words. Why was his perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Judas is quick to judge Mary, judge her harshly for this heartfelt act of generosity. And the gospel writer is just as quick to clarify his view that this was not spoken out of Judas's concern for the poor, not at all, but out of wanting to get his own hands on that money. And Jesus immediately responds, responds and defends Mary, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus knows what's in Mary's mind and heart. Jesus knows that Mary, perhaps more than any of the other disciples, has understood his teaching and is preparing for what lies ahead. And Jesus also knows Judas, his heart and mind, the one who will soon betray him. Last week, we heard of the two sons and the loving father. And this week, we hear of the two followers of Jesus and Jesus himself. We hear of Mary, grateful, faithful, devoted, loving. Judas, dissembling, judgmental, self-righteous, perhaps self-serving a bit. And Jesus, steadfast, clarifying, teaching, 
mediating the moment and loving them both. In today's gospel, Mary's devotion to Jesus is seen and felt by all present. In the story, Judas's devotion may be visible as well, but it is probably not a devotion of giving to the poor. It may be more to keeping the common purse and perhaps lining his own. So how do we identify with this story? To what or whom are we devoted? And how do we express that devotion? The word devotion just kept coming to me with this story. And I think it came to me even more so because I've witnessed so, so much devotion in recent weeks. In the past two weeks, we have experienced two deaths in our congregation, Bill Lanouette and Bob Bowling. Bill was the husband of Louise, who usually attends the 8 o'clock service, although she herself has some health problems right now. And Bill had been ill for quite some time, for the last couple of years. Louise has been steadfast and devoted at his side, trying to make sure that he always received the care that he had, that he had every opportunity for healing. When we spoke following his death, Louise described how Bill had been at the center of her life for 68 years, 68 years. And we talked of how he would continue to be. Theirs was a life of devotion to each other and to their family, and their family have surely stepped forward in these years of health difficulties. Bill and Louise's love for each other was enduring, and still is. Such love never dies. Bob Bowling's life was also filled with love and devotion, marked especially in these most recent years by his daughter's Ellen's devotion to him. In earlier years, Bob was devoted to his beloved wife, Jane, and tending her care during her extended illness. He was devoted to his daughter and to his son-in-law and to the entire family, devoted to this church. In years past, he'd served in so many leadership roles, and in more recent years, he loved tending the grounds. If my mind might wander a little bit during staff meeting, and I would look out the window, I'd see motion. I'd see motion, and it could be a little concerning because who would be back there? And it was always Bob. Bob at the gardening shed, either getting out tools or putting some back. I was away in Florida with my family earlier this past week and witnessed again my son Ryan's devotion to his dad. His dad lives in Chicago, and he has significant physical and cognitive problems, and he needs assistance at times throughout the day. My son lives in Utah, but he's practiced at keeping this communication. But we were all in Florida, and this time his dad had gotten himself into a jam that he didn't know how to remedy. So of course his first call is to his son. And I witnessed Ryan by the pool in Florida, calmly and patiently walk him through possible options 
and try to help empower him as to how he might fix this himself. And from my side of overhearing the call, I could tell that he didn't feel able to do any of those things. And so Ryan then very quickly shifted gears and made all the calls that were necessary to get the help that was needed in Chicago. In minutes, in minutes, help was on the way. As I've shared before, this devotion between father and son did not grow out of nothing, but out of years of calls and love expressed. The devotion his father gave him so faithfully has been returned with love and generosity beyond measure. Everyone here likely has a story of devotion, whether experiencing it, giving it or receiving it, or witnessing it between others. We see devotion and the transformative nature of love and our relationships with God and each other. We see devotion to becoming beloved community in this place, and carrying that forth into the world. We see devotion in other parts of the world, devotion to freedom and democracy and national identity and the war being valiantly fought in Ukraine. Where do we place our devotion? How do we live it? How do we share it? How do we express our love for God and each other? In this polarizing time, when it is so inviting to align with one side or another, to be on team older responsible brother or team of the younger prodigal one, to be expressive and extravagant as Mary or judging as Judas, we align, we align so readily, but we are more complex than a singular point of identification. We are fallible despite our best intentions. We are complex beings asked to love other complex beings and create a community of love. During the same time in Florida, I came out to the pool in the middle of a conversation between my now 11-year-old granddaughter, she just turned 11, Alia is her name, and her parents. I missed the beginning of the conversation and my son could not remember how it began. But when I arrived, my son was saying she had lots of options. That how she identified herself was up to her. She could identify as black or brown, as indigenous or Bolivian or Latinx, or with Russian Jewish, Polish, African or Western European, European ancestry. I added in the specifics of German, English, or Scottish, and I could see she was taking this all in and was a little bit speechless. And I said, Elia, you know, in some ways you're like the United Nations. You, have a, you represent lots of places, but I, I identify you as Elia, the unique person that you are, and you, Elia, are so loved. You are so loved. At the end of the day, despite all our complexity, isn't that the single identity we need to hold above everything else? We are all loved by God.
we are all so deeply loved, and we are all called to love. Amen.